All right. I would like to start by reminding us of a story that we read, a true story from the book of Nehemiah. If you'd like to read along with me, you're welcome, or just listen. Uh, it's just a little bit, some excerpts from chapter 1 and uh, chapter 2. Come on, let's get my books going here. There we go. Back in 2018, and I won't make this the world's longest story, I promise. Um, this was a scripture that we read through because we felt that, like, metaphorically, the church's walls were broken down. That the church of Christ, Jesus' people in the world, were losing their reputation for love and for Christ. And that the, the effectiveness of the church in the world, Jesus' people, was losing its impact. And it felt like there's just something slipping here. Why isn't the, the church as powerful? Why isn't the church as committed? Why, why does the church have this reputation for being all about judgmentalism or all about programs are all about money. Like Those aren't the things that Jesus stood for. So how did we get off track? And so in 2018, we read through this, and I'm going to specifically read the first uh, four verses of chapter one of Nehemiah. Um, and you'll see why this stood out to us and why we read it then. So this book is written. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, so this is their bad report that they're about to give. They said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Uh, the translation says distress. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, as soon as I, Nehemiah, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept, and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's go just a couple more verses here. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even as my I and my father's house have sinned. Uh, verse 8, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you. But if you return to me, keep my commandments and do them, though your, I think I have a typo on this. Wow. Oh, though your dispersed, your dispersed peoples, be under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So this kicked off our church in 2018 into a season of saying, what does it mean to rebuild some of what Jesus laid the groundwork for, how he was in the lives of people? And we pursued L Street Mission, the homeless ministry. We served with the foster care. So we were just trying to do things because we thought at that moment that the reason God was putting this on our heart was because like the, the ministry of the church needed to be more focused and rebuilt. You know, the mission, the reputation, the integrity, those sorts of things. But fast forward then to 2020, 
When did we hear from Jose? Was that 2022? Yeah, 2022. Fast forward to 2022, and as God brings us into this place, we realize that he's also calling us to rebuild these walls and this location as a place of worship and help to rebuild the church and build the church's reputation and effectiveness in the city of Taunton. We didn't expect that it would be a physical thing. We thought it would be just sort of like a, a recommitment to the Lord and a refocusing, but he had much more in mind. But these thoughts here, that praying and weeping is really how I felt back in 2018 because it felt like we're doing all these things as a church. We have lots of ministries and ministry leaders and we have this budget and we have this building. But like, what about the lives that need to be changed? And I looked around and this, this isn't a criticism as much as it was like we were just, we had so much more we could do. There was potential there. And I was just seeing what more could we do? I, I saw so many of us that were just going to church and we weren't finding victory in our own lives. You're going to church every Sunday, but marriages are still failing. It's like, well, why is that? Why is it that we're doing the religious things, but it's not changing our lives? And I looked at our impact in the world and think, well, why aren't more people being introduced to Christ? We're kind of like, we're in like a slow place or a plateau or something. And I knew something needed to change. And so I was open to whatever. And I knew for Michelle and I, this first part of our talk here is like what we've seen God doing. What we've seen God doing is from the inside in a leadership place in ministry, we've seen that some of the methods that used to work great just don't work as well anymore. And so as the world changes, the church has to adapt. And so we've been ready to say, well, I don't know what that means. If that means we need to like put up teepees in the woods and that's what church should look like. If that's what Jesus wants, we should do that. If we should just meet in backyards and, you know, have a guitar and sing Kumbaya around the fire and that it doesn't matter how we do it. It just needs to be the way that God wants us to do it because he'll know the best way. And so that's been what I feel God has been saying for a very long time. It even came to a, a kind of a culmination point for us on our last sabbatical. Um, I forget which year it was now, but we kind of left a stressful time and you know, there had been, conflict and there had been disagreements and church had felt like, man, this is turning into more of like business than worship. It's turning into more of like departments and like tasks and roles and stuff than family. And I don't, I don't know if I want to go back to that. And we, we hit that kind of like crisis point where you pray and you're like, I only want to be doing what you're doing. And if this is something that's just going through the motions, then that's not where I want to be. So it needs to change or we need to change. And so we came back from that sabbatical feeling clearly God has not released us from the call to this body. We are not released. And there's still more that God wants to do. We don't know what that is. And so that brought us back. It probably was 2017. That brought us back for 2018. And it just kicked off this whole other thing. Something else happened then. But I... I want us to know that because what God has been doing has been slowly, subtly changing us so that we could be made new in a new season. We can't be who we were still. We need to be something different that God is growing us into. And so Nehemiah, you know the rest of his story, he leads all these people back. He first goes back to the city and he examines it in the night. So that's like Michelle and I a little bit. Like, let's examine our situation, and then eventually God let us hear, we're examining this place, we haven't talked to anybody about it, because we don't know what God's going to do, but let's examine. 
And then it felt right to us. It felt like this is an opportunity. And then we talked to every single person in the church over Zoom calls and in-face meetings over like a week or two. Like, what do you feel God's saying? And there was this very much unanimous feeling like, this is something we have to explore. We didn't know what it looked like, and we didn't know how to do it. But yes, we need to pursue this. So that happened with Nehemiah as well. That's in the end of chapter 2. He brings it to all the leaders of Israel and says, what do you think? And they say, this task is good. I'll read the exact phrase. I love the way they say it. Um, He said to them, you see the trouble. This is chapter 2, verse 17. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer this derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and of the words the king had spoken to me. And they said, and this is what New Hope said, because we took a vote back on March 1, 2022. (laughs) Um, They said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. And then it talks about the opposition that they faced along the way. We faced minor opposition, but God's been with us. And everything that's felt like a roadblock has turned into a, an open door eventually in God's timing. So what I see what God has been doing has been changing Michelle and I in our desire for what church could be so that we would see each of you experience the victory in your lives that comes from actually having a relationship with Jesus and letting him change you and feeling like his word is not just the thing that's like a good thing to study, but it's alive and it matters. And I know most of you here, you've had moments like that in your life. That's not just when you get saved. It's not just in a crisis moment. It's meant to be your experience, my experience all the time. And so I think stepping out of a familiar setting is an opportunity for each of us to reconsider how we go about church and what it means. And so my desire in this new place, this new rebuilt Jerusalem, is that you would each come alive in a different way. Um, but that's kind of more where we're going. Maybe I should let you say where God has been taking us. But the testimony for me is that I didn't know. This is really like the critical moment in my life, the decision. I didn't know what the body of Christ here would feel. But I knew what we felt. And so there was like a clear, there was like a fear there, a moment. Is this something that the rest of the church will also feel? Will we go together? And the way I described it to Michelle back then and to the people who were praying with me outside of New Hope before we came to you was, is this a Moses moment or is this an Abraham moment? Both of those men were called by God to go and do something, but Abraham was called to leave his family and friends and go to a new land. Moses was called to lead all of God's people from point A to point B because God had a new season for them. And so we wondered, like, what if no one else in the church feels this same calling? Is God calling us to leave and go do this? But we had just become so convinced that there was a next something of growth. We knew we were called. And so that March 1st voting day, it's still kind of emotional when I think about it. It was so scary. Because we talked about it, and so I knew there was like a lot of familiar, a lot of um, positive feelings about it. But when you actually come right down to it, what will we all say God is saying to us? That, in my scary little inside mind, was like the determining factor of whether we'd all go do this together or whether God was calling Michelle and I to leave and do something like this. Because it just becomes so clear that this is where he was calling us. I'm so glad to be sitting here all together. This means more to me than you could know. Because it might not have been this way. You could have been here without us. We could have been here. It's all God's will. But we got to come together. And we got to sit here and be excited and look around and see the beginning of a new thing. 
So what that was like the submission, the sacrifice that we needed to make. Would we be willing to leave to just do? But every one of you had to make that same decision. Am I willing to leave behind the comfortable place? Am I willing to leave behind some of the traditions? Am I willing to leave behind all those wonderful, comfortable chairs that only Art and Nancy get to sit in anymore? Am I, <laughs> am I willing to do that? Because that's a loss. But it was in that sacrifice that you get to step into something beautiful. And I think it's good for us. I wasn't looking for, and I didn't feel called to, let, oh, it was an easier way or a better way. It's almost like if we stay here, it's not going to be challenging enough for us. We're all just going to get comfortable. We're not going to grow. And it just didn't feel like we were meant to stay. So this last season has been one of, okay, God, what does it look like? How will you get us there? And I felt like my role in that was to try to shepherd from A to B to help us as a whole family get across the Jordan River, just get to the new place. But I don't consider this my place. I know I didn't do this. Michelle and I say this all the time. We don't have any experience with what has just happened. God just did that. We were just available. And so we're available and we'll let God use whatever he can use us to do. But we can't afford this place. We didn't know how to make this place. We couldn't have gotten none of this. None of this. It's been God who's done it. But it feels like a turning point to me this Sunday. And that's why we're sharing this story again. We, we sat together and shared the beginning of a story a year and a half ago. We're, we're sitting here on the other side saying... This is the beginning of the new season, and I hope you recognize that we are here. God has done it. And so all those ideas we had about what this place could become, that, that starts now. All those ideas about how we could use rooms. Yeah, we're not open for the whole community to use it. We're here. We can use it. Like, we're not in travel mode anymore. Put down roots. You know, David McKaylee, you just moved. Hang pictures on the walls. Put down those nice rugs, bring in more couches, make it home. This is our home and God has put us here and he's brought us here because we all recognize that he's calling us to something like this. So what I've seen God doing is breaking us free and making us willing to do scary things. And I see him providing, so I know he's behind it. But what I see him doing next is saying, okay, well now it's time to like plant, grow, bear fruit. This, this is it. There isn't another future like this is the future this is where he's called us to and this is our place this is our home and so i hope there'll be a little bit of like a handoff as well some of the construction things and administration we've needed to be the point people because you never know when the inspector is going to call it could be any hour of the day any day of the week or the plumb one so we've been available for that god's used us in that way but this isn't for us it's not our project but now that we're here, it's your project. It's for you and for us as well to now grow in this place. And I don't want us to be more important than we should be. We've just been available for our role in this. Um, but what does a shepherd do when you get to the next pasture? Kind of just like stands back and lets the sheep go about their business. Let's the flock graze and grow and thrive and so we're not going anywhere. This isn't like a farewell message or anything like that. I'm excited. This is the most exciting new beginning I've ever experienced, probably, aside from getting married to my wife. Um, so, yeah, I want you to recognize there's a little bit of a handoff here. And so that, that'll be, I'll say the other scripture because I'm not capable of parsing this. It's all one thought. When John the Baptist's disciples saw Jesus baptizing people, they got protective of him and defensive. And they're like, aren't you worried that this Jesus is going to take all of your disciples? Do you remember what he said? It was one sentence. 
right? He must increase and I must decrease. And that's exactly how I feel in this moment. We've been called to be like an Elijah, sort of like ushering in a thing, but it's not our thing. We literally, Michelle, I must decrease in this next season. And all of us and the new people God will bring must increase because you are the body of Christ. So it's actually a one-to-one parallel. He wanted Jesus to increase. And what is Jesus? We are Christ. We're the body of Christ. And this is the exact problem that traditional and structured churches always get caught up on. The pastor is the most important person. It's a problem. It's not supposed to be that way. The body is the body, and the pastor is a part of the body. So it's almost like made it worse this last year. I've become more, and we've become more important because God's called us to be available in this transition that has to change. And so this is also a call to you to say, please become greater in the effectiveness and the ministry and the vision from this point forward. I don't actually have five more visions that I'm just like ready to unveil. This is it. You're in it. You're in the vision that God gave us. So now it's like time for your visions to like start up and take root in this place. We, we created the pot and you got to plant stuff in it. We tilled the ground. You got to plant the vegetables in the garden. Like that's where we're at. So there's a million things I could say. It's been such a crazy year and a half, never mind the, the preparation before that. But this is an amazing moment. I, I didn't know what it would look like to have this conversation with you on the other side of this last year and a half. Um, but I want to give God the glory for it. So glad I could have been a part of it. I feel so honored that he called us to be in this season. Um, but I want you to know what it means for all of us, too. Like, we're here. <laughs> it's time to really put down some roots and, and grow some fruit. Well, I want to piggyback on what you were just talking about with the body, because that's um, a thought that God gave me this morning as I was waking up. Um, a lot of sort of the last seven years and where we were then and where we are now in our growth as the church, but not just specifically our church. I mean the big C church. Um, a lot of the things that we were perceiving in church were not necessarily represented in our church. I felt like our church was very um, outward focused. Um, and so I think the shift that we felt like was really important for the big C church was not just the inward focus, but the outward focus. Um, when I think of a body, I think that it's not, it's not, there's nothing wrong with being inward focused as a church is important. You know, where a body, a body is an alive thing. It's something that needs to be fed, needs to be healthy, right? We all know we all have bodies, and where our bodies are not healthy, we're not really good. Like if we have a, a leg that's not healthy, we're not going to be running, right? But as parts of the body, all of us, we're representing all of us together, one body. And outside of our church, the whole collective Christian kingdom is one body. And so we have to be healthy to be united and be one body and function well. But I was thinking this morning, the purpose of a body is not to be still. A body is meant to move, right? So if we're the body and if we're healthy and if we're all doing our role, someone as seeing, someone as hearing, someone as moving as legs, hands, fingers, if we're doing that, then we're going in a direction and we're not just focusing inward as a church, although we are, we're also focused outward as a church and we're moving 
it is implied as a body that you are moving. And um, I think back to a couple of your last sermons on purpose, and I think that the church gets all confused and caught up as individuals, like, well, what's my purpose? What am I doing? What am I doing? And I was thinking this morning of the catechism, right? So that we love God, we love others, and we give glory to God and enjoy him forever. And sometimes when I think about the big C church, I don't think about joy and enjoying and those types of expressions. We should be so alive and so overjoyed expressing who he is through us and in us that like there should be just no mistaking the Christians that roam this planet. Um, our impact should be so great when we're outward focused as well. The reason we're here is because we were outward focused in a place that and recognizing it wasn't drawing people in anymore. Churches aren't just part of culture anymore. That has gone away. Um, they're other. They're separate. And so we noticed over the past seven years, there's a lot less of you know, non-believers walking in your doors. You'll have believers maybe walking in, but not even maybe as many as before. There's a lot of there's not that, that pull. And so the question in my mind that burned so furiously was how do we reconcile that? How are we effective as a church building if nobody comes into it? So we know we, ha we, knew we had to be out of it, right? So we were doing mission in lots of places, whether it was being the homeless or whether it was Hands of Hope or Serve Home or any number of other things that were just an expression of us and who we wanted to serve because that's what we're here for. Loving is serving. And um, I feel like we saw so much fruit from that because um, I think that the will of God is for us to just be obedient. And our obedience means that if there's something that we think of that we should do, that we just then walk towards that thing and serve in a way, and even if it's in an uncomfortable way. Um, when I think of purpose, a lot of times people are like, well, I know who I am, and this is how God uses me, this is what I do. And that's such a limiting way to think about our purpose, because our purpose is really to just be very attuned to the Spirit, and to say, like, what is God saying that I should do right now? What am I hearing from Him in whatever situation? And then just acting on it. Not saying like, well, this person really needs to be fed, but I don't really cook. So that, I'll leave that for someone else. Like, no, you find a way. God's asking you to do something. And so when I think of this place and what God has been saying over the past seven years, I think, really, maybe more, is we need to be really open and attuned to what the Spirit is saying to each of us and to think about how this space can lend itself even more so than our last building to those things, to our faith coming alive and, and moving. And so this building isn't done, right? It's not, but we're here and that's the important thing. It will get done eventually. Maybe it takes a long time, maybe it doesn't. But in the meantime, I don't want us to wait 
to live in the fullness of what God is calling us to. So it's like um, a charge to all of you to think about like, well, what is God saying? And how could I come alive in my faith with the things that I know God has either set before me or the things that I know that I want to do? And how can I do them here? Some of them might not be possible yet, but some of them will. And so I want us to think of our building as very much so new hopes and very much so ours for using and also simultaneously think of it when it opens as the center on Maine as the communities. It belongs to them and it's a place for us to serve within because it's both, because it functions as both. And so uh, when mom calls it, you know, the future, I, I think of it as the future very much so for the Big C Church, not just for New Hope, not because we're special and other. I'm sure that God is doing this in so many ways. He's doing it in Bridgewater, and we didn't even know, right? He's, he has this idea that he wants to find a way for places to be welcoming and to bring in um, the lost and for us to connect with the lost in any kinds of ways. Um, they don't have to be ways that we normally think of. They can be any way. And so uh, I want everyone's wheels turning on like what that means for you as a person, what that means, like what you want to do to connect with the community, to connect with each other, and how to do that in this space. Um, so I guess those are some of my thoughts. For me personally, the past year and a half have been the most gigantic um, stretching and of faith that I've ever experienced. Um, a lot of times people will say to me that they see this as something I'm perfectly suited for or like, and I think to some degree, God, that's true. God knows what he's doing, but also I don't know what I'm doing. And so like, I have had to have so much faith that God can just like help make decisions and do things and lead and give wisdom in ways that like, I don't know. Like, I've never been a construction project manager. Uh, and I don't know how to always get things from A to B. And so I've just... It's, been, it's a really beautiful thing, actually, to feel like you're just sitting in God's hand be, and you don't know what to do all the time. I don't, like, I don't... It's not my preference. I would rather know what I'm doing and I would rather feel like things are maybe to some degree under control, but God probably knows that about me. So he's like, watch this. This will be wildly out of your control and good luck. Uh, and you don't know what you're doing. And I think that that's a beautiful place to be because you, it requires so much trust. It requires so much trust to just say like, I guess that you do know what you're doing. That makes sense. But I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, and I really want you to help um, <laughs> go from A to B and connect the dots. Uh, so I think that those are some of the things I see um, for me, the having of faith versus the living of faith. I think a lot of Christian people ha maybe have a lot of faith, but that's not the same as living in your faith. That Those are two different things. Or the, the knowledge, right? Like, Knowing what God says, knowing the Bible, knowing, you know, these principles, that's not the same as living them. Any of us can know all of these things. Many of us know far more than we ever would need to know. But that's not the same as living it. They're really different. And I think that the Big C Church has to reconcile those two things. I feel like we're 
we're deep in our knowledge and we're like shallow in our action and living of the difficult things because the difficult things require a lot of things like obedience. And is that everybody's favorite word? Like raise your hand if that's your favorite word. It's not. Um, it requires willingness. Um, it requires being attuned to actually know what the will of God is. Uh, it requires ownership of your faith because it's not anyone else's. It's just your faith. And if you want to practice it, it requires you to do it, not something else. Going to church is not living your faith. That's just actually called going to church. Living your faith is what you do every minute of every day of your whole life. Um, it requires sacrifice. And that's not very American. We really like comfort. We like things um, being easy. We want things delivered to us that we can get in a drive-through. Like we are the laziest. And so we don't like sacrifice. We're not willing to give up our evenings because we want to watch Netflix. We're not willing to give up our weekends because that's our only time off. We're not willing to do hard things sometimes. It's required to do hard things, things outside your comfort zone to be a Christian person. Shouldn't be easy. That's not what it looked like for Jesus. Was it, did he ever have an easy day? Like, I don't know if I know any day of his that felt like, no, guys, I'm just relaxing. Even though he was trying to take a nap, he gets woken up by, like, drama. So, um, and I think it requires a lot of unselfishness. And I think our, our country is really deeply rooted in selfishness. I think we as people, as humans, are. And so it requires a lot of unselfishness on our part to really come alive in our faith in ways that impact people, um, which is which is our purpose. That is your purpose. If you don't know it any deeper than that, and any more specifically than that, then you can just know that your purpose is to love other people, which means truth and love, and to, to serve one another, and to love God in a way that it is... It, beautiful to other people to behold, that they see it and they see joy um, and they see you enjoying it. And so I feel like that's been something that I've been really trying to work on to be like, this is joy. This I want to enjoy what God is doing and to um, just be appreciative for it. So um, those, I guess, are some of my thoughts of what I've seen over the past year and a half and where I feel like God has brought us to. And um, what did we wanted to segue into? You told me, but I forgot. What's next? So a couple of minutes here about that. Um, a Christian life is supposed to be communal. It's supposed to be done together. And a Sunday morning is not as much community as you might think it is. How deep do you get on a Sunday morning? Who really knows you on a Sunday morning? How many years could you go to church just on Sundays and still feel like nobody knows me? Like a bazillion, right? I hope we agree with this, understand this. This is a supplement. It's a foundation. It's a booster shot. It's a training grant. It's all sorts of wonderful things. We need this. But what we need even more than this is what Jesus put together, a band of 12 disciples that lives life together for like multiple years at a time. That's his model. That has not gone out of my heart in this transition. It's, it's not been sort of like practical or the right time, timely maybe, 
to figure out how we're going to band together, whether it's a form of missional communities or whether it's small groups or whether it's some other way that we could be together. But if when people meet us and come, all we have to offer to them is come to a Sunday service, then we're really missing the whole point. We're supposed to be doing life together. I had the wonderful honor this last week of talking to someone and they're just sharing some really personal things that are going on in their lives. Would you pray for me? That person and every one of us who has those same sorts of things needs your people around you. And so the thing that I know is coming next now that we've planted ourselves is gathering into these little pockets of friends, people who we trust, people who we love, people who will love us. And it's always the most simple things. You read the Bible together with those people. You share life together. You do fun stuff together. And you think of ways you can serve people. Like the definitions are not hard. But in my mind, we will just be a Sunday service if we don't have each other. And New Hope, as you all know, most of you know, has always been a family more than it's been a, a program. And so we have a lot of newer people joining in who don't yet feel like family or don't know each other. We don't know each other sometimes. I'll share this story too. Um, I don't have my name tag. I was a slacker this morning. I apologize. But um, I, in brainstorming the idea of name tags, mentioned it to someone who's been a longtime member of the church. And that person was like, oh, I'm glad to have name tags because sometimes I forget people's names. And I've been here for years. It's not just visitors need name tags to learn us. It's that sometimes we even forget names, forget birthdays, forget important things. And the more family become, the less that happens because you're just closer and tighter knit. And we need to know each other in this new place. And so if I were to see a progression where I see us going next, where I hope to lead us and challenge and encourage is, okay, we're in a place. We're looking to serve. Who will we serve alongside? Who will we read the Bible with? Who we get together? Because those will be the people. Those will be your community of faith for the next few years. This place isn't even a church building. You know that, right? It's just a community center. So the church meets here. But we didn't plant a church here. We planted a community center. Pretty soon, over the next months, Lord willing, year, they'll get taken off by all sorts of things. Coffee shops in the back corner, Lord willing, and all sorts of programs. So the church really is just the people. And we have to follow Jesus' example. And he put 12 people together and said, we're going to do life together. You're going to see miracles. You're going to love each other. You're going to help each other. You're going to suffer together. But that's the way faith is done. And so if we divorce our services from our community, we're going to miss all that. And that would just be the saddest thing ever if we didn't have each other. So if I were to ask you to pray forward, be praying about who could be your people and reach out. And you may find that they've been praying and your name came to their mind as well. And maybe you could just grab coffee at some point and talk and think about what it might look like to share life together. And immediately you start thinking, oh man, but we're busy. How do we do this? We've got schedules and I got this, or we've got kids, we've got travel, we've got work. Those are secondary. The first thing is the obedience step. Just who are you with? And if you meet once a month, if there's only two of you that can get together for coffee because you can't get six people together, great, then there's two. Your community starts with two. God will bring more, God will provide, but we can't go without. There's too many people here, and Michelle talked about the healing that we all need, the healthiness we all need. We won't be healthy if we're all hiding our problems, if we have no one to talk to them about. And again, with the me decreasing, the body of Christ increasing, 
It shouldn't just be, oh, good, we can have like office hours again for the pastor. So we can all line up and come and tell him to pray. We need people. You need your own people. Everybody needs each other. And so God will bring people into this fellowship that will become our people. And over the last year, year and a half, I think of like the Gendro family. God's brought them into our lives. They're our family now. And we need them. We love them. And that's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like the people that we, we just love upon meeting and whose little daughters inspire us in our faith. Uh, but we didn't know them two years ago. Realize that? They feel like we've known them for a life. We didn't know them two years ago, a year and a half, whatever it was. So that the community part is what's coming next. And so I encourage you with all things we said about the difficulties of transitioning and sacrifice and all those to really pray about what that could look like and to think about that together. And um, whether it's in small ways or big ways, I think we need that next. That's what we're building here. We're building communities, little pockets of Christians that do life together and are missional. Uh, that still is my vision for what church looks like. And we haven't emphasized that because God's called us to construction for a year and a half. And that's fine. It's a time and a season for everything, right? It's been our time for just building and moving. That's a full-time job for all of us. Great. And it's not always going to be that job anymore. The season's going to change. And community is going to be what makes or breaks it. Uh, for effectiveness, I think. So that's what I see coming next. Mm. <laughs> I had, mine is kind of twofold, but related. Uh, I really feel like what the world needs now <laughs> is love. No. Uh, well, yes. But uh, I think that the trouble that the world has experienced is an identity crisis. I think it's having an identity crisis. And I think that... We, we understand their identity as Christian people, and it's so integral to living a Christian life to know who you are, so your purpose, who you are, who you're made to be, but also whose you are, who you belong to, who is Lord of your life, who is the one who gives you the ideas that you have, who has created you the way that you are, who has the purpose set before you that you might not even know yet, and that's God. And I think so many people don't know him, and so therefore they do not know themselves. They don't know who they are. And uh, I was listening to a podcast, I think this past week, and um, it was a Tim Keller podcast. I don't know if anyone's unfamiliar who, with who Tim Keller is. He was a preacher and pastor of Redeemer Church, is that what it's called? Yeah, Presbyterian Redeemer. Yeah, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Um, which he started in, I believe, the 80s. Um, and so he, he recently passed away, but uh, another podcaster that I listened to was putting all of the interviews with him uh, into one. And Tim Keller is a very prolific uh, thinker. Um, so if you are not familiar with him, you should get familiar. Read his books. Um, and he was talking actually about the same exact thing that he sees as like going forward for the big C church, the future and how the church, how we are going to connect with the lost and those who we meet is, is the, the foundational crack in identity in the world. And so I think for us to be thinking about that, things are feel chaotic and out of control because people don't know who's they are. 
They don't know where they fit, where they belong. They don't know who they can lean on, trust in. They don't have faith or hope in any particular thing. And that's a really sad and scary way to live. And that's how our world feels right now, right? It feels sad and scary a little bit. And so, like, we're called to that. We're to be light in that darkness. And I think that's going to be a really important and integral part of how we relate to people and how we connect and build a bridge from where someone's at right now and towards God, which is where they need to be, right? Understanding that. Um, the second part that's related to identity in my mind is, um, it goes back to one of our experiences that we had when we went to visit the Tampa Underground Church, um, which I'll never stop just like loving every one of those days that we were down um, in Tampa and at a conference uh, that was just learning about how they do church, which wasn't something that in every way we adopted, but we were curious about. Um, and what I loved about that particular conference was it felt very representative of so many different types of people and so many different ways to worship and so many different expressions of the body. And I think we get a little stuck sometimes thinking that like this is what it must look like to be a Christian or this is what it must look like to be like uh, a believer or a church-going person or however it is that we come to think of these things. And it's limiting because it's too small. God is very big and the creator of universes and galaxies. He's the most creative being that exists. And for us to not feel like creative expression is part of being a Christian and being a godly person, whatever that expression might look like, it can look like a lot of different things. It doesn't even necessarily mean the arts. When you say creative, people tend to think like, oh geez, now I need to put on a play or now I need to paint something. Creative just means anything that you do that you're putting love into that serves somebody. It can be an encouragement note. It can be a meal you cook. It can be a way that you listen to someone when they need to talk. There's so many ways to love one another and to express yourself. And I don't want us to feel limited that it has to look like what we've seen. When I went to Tampa, I felt like I had gone home. I felt like, oh, like these kind of people are my people. They're... There's art in this church. They didn't. Even, it wasn't even a church. It was a. It was an art gallery or a theater. No, it was a theater. And so they did the conference in the theater. And I was like, what an amazing like conglomeration of so many beautiful things in one space, and to have them all be for God's glory, like to do art as an expression of who God is and how beautiful He is. That's an amazing thing. Uh, so when I woke up earlier this morning. I've been reading through this book by Thomas Merton. He was a monk who lived in the early part of the 19th, was it 20th century? 1900s, I don't know what century that is. Um, he lived from like 1915 to the 60s somewhere. And so he was a monk who lived in Kentucky. This book is called No Man is an Island, um, which is again a nod to being a body. Like you are not an island. You are not alone. You are not one singular. You are one connected and part of, which is what the beautiful thing is of life. It's community. It's no good for man to be alone. Like God said that. And so community is the most important thing that we have and will do. And he was talking about, huh? No, I can do it. Um, he was talking about the arts and um, how 
he was talking about chants and talking about beautiful churches, talking about, you know, what it looked like in his mind. Um, so I just want to read you this, this little part of this book. It says, If the church has emphasized the function of art in her public prayer, it has been because she knew that a true and valid aesthetic formation was necessary for the wholeness of Christian living and worship. The liturgy and the chant and church art are all supposed to form and spiritualize man's consciousness to give him a tone and a maturity without which his prayer cannot normally be either very deep or very wide or very pure. There is only one reason why this is completely true. Art is not an end in itself. It introduces the soul into a higher spiritual order, which it expresses and in some sense explains. Music and art and poetry attune the soul to God because they induce a kind of contact with the creator and ruler of the universe. The genius of the artist finds its way by the affinity of creative sympathy or connaturality into the living law that rules the universe. This law is nothing but the secret gravitation that draws all things to God as their center. Since all true art lays bare the action of this same law in the depths of our own nature, it makes us alive to the tremendous mystery of being, in which we ourselves, together with all other living and existing things, come forth from the depths of God and return again to him. An art that does not produce something of this is not worthy of its name. So for me personally, as someone who creative expression is part of what I think is a beautiful way to be and exist, like I, I want that for each of us in, in each of your own ways. For whatever expression of God comes through you, for this to be a place that that um, can happen and... Uh, basically a catalyst for all of those things because each of us coming alive in the ways that God made us and in the things that bring us joy and the, that that is the thing that is the thing that will will bring others towards us and then you know glorify God and expand the kingdom which is our, our purpose here. So those are, those are the things for me that I see in the future and that I'm actually the most excited about. I'm actually just the most excited to see what you all will do. Like I, that's it. I was, I can't wait. I can't wait to see who's going to come here because of you. Who's going to gather with you here. Who's going to, who's going to teach what in these classrooms. I, I'm just ecstatic thinking about the potential, um, of the future for us. So, Yeah. I imagine Michelle teaching painting classes and making art in this place. I imagine myself uh, just being here often during the week and meeting people as they walk in. That's happened this whole last year and a half. I've met so many people who just walked in like, what are you doing in here? I tell the story and they're like, well, that's cool. Maybe we see them again. Maybe we don't, but I need that. That's part of how God has made me. I need contact with people and new people and like talking about faith with people that don't have any background is one of the most exciting things to me. So I see myself doing that. I see the youth center having, giving us an opportunity to be big brothers and big sisters to kids that don't have a good family life around us. I want to be here and hang out with some kids and like play some 
pool or ping pong or something and just be a person. Like, I just see myself being here and then whatever happens, maybe somebody wants to learn how to play an instrument or someone you know, wants to jam on a guitar or something like that. I just feel like by being here, all those opportunities will open up and it'll, it'll just look like what I do. It'll look like what you do. It'll look like whatever you do because it'll be God using us in those unique ways that he's made us. And so it'll be for the benefit of everybody else, but it feels so good to do what you love to do and what you're made to do. I think we're not going to love this next season. I think it's not going to be just nails and hammers and scraping floors. I think it's going to be doing a lot of things that God's gifted us in. And that's, so exciting to be able to do. So our hope this morning was to be able to remind us who we are, remind us where we've come from. Maybe some haven't heard the whole story. There's still much more to it, but to just reiterate that God has brought us here and to challenge and say, recognize we are here now. So we need to switch mentalities. You graduate high school or something. You have to now either go get a job or go to college. You graduate college, you got to go get a job or get like, you have to pick the new thing that you will do because the season has changed. Keep wearing your winter coat all summer. It's going to be really uncomfortable. It doesn't fit the season anymore. Try to wear your bathing suit all winter. You're going to freeze. Like you just have to change how you act when the world around you changes. So it's changed. We are here. We are in a place and I think we have, God will just reveal to us all what that looks like. And I encourage you to embrace the new season that we are beginning. So I'm going to close with a scripture. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Reminds us that it is all about God. Reminds us that he's got a plan. He's working on for much longer than we've been around. And his plan is much bigger than just us. But we're in it. We're a part of it. And it is so exciting to be a part of it. So let's close with this. Uh, and then actually, Devin, would you come forward and, and play some music as we go to a time of communion? But this is Ephesians, uh, the first 10 verses of chapter 2. Would you stand for the, this reading of God's word, please? I feel like that's what we should be doing at this moment. I love that this was written 2,000 years ago because it feels like it was written today for us. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Christians in Ephesus. He reminds them of who they were before God. So let me remind us, myself, Michelle, as well. We were all dead in our trespasses and in our sins in which we all once walked. We were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature identity. We were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That was who we were. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, we have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, our new identity. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. 
This is not our own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of our works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for going first. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for how much you loved us while we were all lost. Please redeem us, continue to heal us, continue to fill us as we come to this celebration of your covenant, the new covenant. Please give us the courage and the joy of recommitting to you once again this morning. Through your blood shed, your body broken, we are forgiven, we are atoned, we are redeemed. Help us to continue to abide in you, for apart from you we can do nothing, Jesus. And may you continue to fill this place and fill us with your love. May you become more and more and more. And us less and less and less. Just so grateful for you, Father, for what you do. Grateful for this day. Grateful for this people. Grateful for this place. Grateful for your son. I'm grateful for your spirit. I'm grateful for your moving and your working and your plans. Grateful for your providence and your provision. I'm grateful for your wisdom. Grateful for our smallness and our weakness and our lostness, which just remind us that you are all we can hang on to and you are good. So Jesus, we thank you for redeeming us, making us into something we could never be. We recommit ourselves to you this morning. Pray that you'd once again extend your mercy, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse our minds and our hands and our thoughts and our bodies and our sins. Just give us a clean slate once again together in you. Pray that you bless these elements. Pray that as we experience the unity of communion, uh, that it would be a spiritual reality and not just a physical ritual. So we thank you for that. We thank you for this celebration morning to look back on who you are and to be reminded of the trustworthiness of our faith in you. You always come through. You always provide. You always love. You never stop. You never sleep. You never fail. And we're just so grateful for your steadiness. We can rely on you. So please bless us as we come to the table, as we come before you in this way this morning. Thank you for your greatness in bringing us into this new land. And we ask for wisdom that our next steps would be guided by you in the direction that you'd have us continue to grow. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.